Incomparable Podcast Number 103 August 2012 The Incomparable is sponsored by Immersive Welcome back to The Incomparable Podcast. This is Jason Snell, and I'm joined today by the two stalwart members of our comic book club. We haven't met in a little while, but we've managed to get us all back together in the same room, believe it or not. Lisa Schmeiser joins us. Hi, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be back. You're, now, you're, you're on lots of Incomparables these days, but the comic book club has been, uh, has been scarce for a little bit. It has. We've all been busy. Yeah, sure. Sure, we've been busy. All of my comics are in storage right now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Don't read anything. Uh, and also, Jason Brightman is here. It is fantastic to be back. It is great to have you here. And this is we're in our temporary podcast studio here, but it, it should uh, it should uh, uh, work out just fine. So when we set up this uh, this conversation, we were talking about uh, the Avengers had just come out, which brought up the the question of teams, super teams in general, um, which I think is a good question because. I was watching the Avengers, and I enjoyed the Avengers. Some people didn't, but I I, I enjoyed it. And um, I, but there is a some there is a level of kind of silliness of you know one superhero was kind of silly, but like eight different superheroes with different powers is really can be really ridiculous. It's hard to suspend disbelief with one. You do a whole cast of them, and then it just yeah, you're right, totally ridiculous. One of my favorite series in the '90s was Stormwatch, and they do an alternate worlds storyline towards the end of the original run where in this alternate world it turns out that a whole, that there's 24 of them working in concert and the superheroes who are watching this were like you can't have that many superheroes in one room unless they're all on really heavy medication because the nature of of being superheroes you have these powers you're also socially maladapted if there's one of you that's fine if there's two of you there's going to be a brawl if there's 24 of you Entire cities get leveled. And that's always been my thing about superhero teams is what impetus do any of these people have to get along with anybody else? Well, and, and isn't it the, the, the superpowered, this crazy creation of a superpowered human, somebody bigger than humanity, is most interesting when it's put in opposition to humanity? And, and, you know, and then you've got them surrounded by other people who are similarly or differently super yeah. and that's a whole different dynamic. It's not to say that it, it can't work, but it's a really different approach than saying, mm-hmm. you know, this is about Peter Parker and he's a kid who has powers and everybody else doesn't have powers and doesn't know he's got powers and how does he deal with it? That, I, I you know, that's pretty straightforward compared to these are... even the with Justice the fan- League. Even with the Fantastic <laughs> Four, they're sort of a family, kind of, yeah. because because Reed and Sue and, and, and then Johnny and then Reed's ben. childhood friend Ben, right? But... And the Incredibles, obviously, is a family dynamic and very Fantastic Four like too. But these kind of, you know, it's, free, you know, just a random assortment Justice League Avengers, they're just right. kind of smooshed together. It's the idea, and you would see this in the Avengers every now and then, where they're just all kind of sitting around a living room or around a conference table in their costumes, <laughs> yeah, chatting. Like it's <laughs> get, it, get a cup of coffee, right? It's kind of hard. E-commerce exists, guys. You it's can like, always just get jeans and T-shirts, it's, it's, right? Yeah. It's the workplace. Uh, it's the workplace sitcom, except it's a it's a drama, and it's maybe, and it's uh, super. Well, if it is beings. the Avengers, it pretty much is a workplace sitcom yeah. because these guys don't do this recreationally. They're they're on shield payroll, or some of them are anyway. Huh. Well, in Tony Stark funded the Avengers for a long time to keep them on a, a payroll. Yeah, I can't keep 
the entire story straight because Marvel does so many switchbacks and so on and so forth. But yeah, at some point, Tony, they were on Tony Stark's payroll. They all live in the, the, a tower together and they work together, which sounds like my idea of hell. And yeah. It is a but little they, weird. But they have their own worlds, too. I mean, that's yeah. the other thing is some of them. Hawkeye doesn't. All right, we've we've just switched from Marvel to DC. Yeah, but they're all you know. So we're kind of talking about how the the actual the concept doesn't work, but could it? Are there examples (laughs) where it does work? Well, I think the that's a great question. You should be the host of this episode. Um, The authority, interesting. I was going to say the, the the family examples that I gave are, are sort of my attempt. To like, if you so can, it's a family, can, not a team. If you can connect them in a in a well, team it's like not enough. What is the bond that connects them? And is it is it a shared of? You know, the yep. problem with these teams is I can get, understand them banding together to fight a menace that's a cosmic, big scale menace. But the sort of like we're an ongoing kind of people look, drop there, in and there's, drop there's out. There's bonds of circumstance. For example, if you look at the, the Runaways, who have basically become a de facto teenaged. Um, superpower team yeah there's bonds of circumstance and the circumstances our parents are evil and trying to sell the world to to giant space demons from another dimension if joss whedon truly is going to consult on a live action marvel-based tv show mm-hmm. for abc he would i really totally hope do the runaways. it would be the runaways but so so you have you have teams of circumstance like the runaways and that seems to work out it's working out for them well enough because you can still have a lot of interesting things happen by virtue of the fact that they're teenagers you have teams that are based on ideology, like the authority, because the th- thing that the five of them all have in common is we have superpowers and we have no problem using them to fix the world as we see fit. And that's that's pretty much the, the unifying principle that all five of them have going forth. And then you have teams that are brought together through self-interest. Um, for example, I'm thinking of Gail Simone's Secret Six, where they're all, they're all anti-heroes or, or even really, really mediocre villains. And... In the the origin story, they get flung together by somebody who turns out to be Lex Luthor. And um, (laughs) they were like, please feel free to work together or or feel free to lose your life. And all of them said, you make a good point. And they began working together. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing that doesn't hold up for me is something, well, and this happens over and over in the Marvelverse, is we live together, we work together, we hang out with each other constantly. And... I wonder if it's designed to appeal to teenagers, things like the X-Men. or Well, right. Or, but, they're what, at school, right? They're well, school, I wonder if it's designed sense. to... New Mutants uh, always felt more like that than the X-Men, though. Well, the Classic X-Men or, the, or the original X-Men. Yeah, yeah right. I wonder if it's just designed to, explicitly to appeal to people whose, whose entire social and vocational lives revolve around school at the moment, where... You know, when you're a teenager, your world is actually pretty circumscribed by family Wait, and by school. So, are you are you suggesting right. comics are are kind of geared towards under or overweight teenage boys? I never thought of it that way. Interesting. <laughs> well, the great dichotomy between the comics that are targeted at overweight boys versus underweight, underweight boys. boys. These skin. Are, somebody walks in, they're like, "Yeah, skinny comics to the left, <laughs> fat fat comics to the right." Mm-hmm. What would be there a fat go. comic? Frank Cho. Power Man and Iron Fist. <laughs> I'm thinking Spider Man. Spider Man's fat, fat guy comic. Fat guy comic. Ooh. What's a what's a what's a skinny? Um, but right. he starts out as a skinny. Uh, he does, but he's still the, the the kid that everybody picks on and is put down, which happens more for the fat kids than really, the skinny than kids. Really, than the skinny kids. So what's a skinny person? Skinny kid comic. Vertigo's entire line. Kind of thinking, yeah, Sandman. <laughs> but I think that now we're associating skinny with goth. Which, again, not entirely inaccurate. No. No. Wow. The subject is horrible crippling stereotypes and <laughs> childhood trauma. <laughs> right. Um, so- no, but I, I think, I, I mean, what we seem to be sort of talking about is 
um, teams maybe make more sense when there is this underlying principle that gives you really have to have a reason for them. This connective tissue, this this um, this bond that that makes them make more sense. And and if it is just, I mean that that's that's the issue with like Justice League and the Avengers, where I mean, yeah, it's sort of like we're here to defend the planet, but it's not quite the same as something like the Authority. We're here to fix the planet as we see fit, or, which, or the exiles. Which I find tremendously, tremendously. You know, powerful. the exiles, which mm-hmm. I which I really liked, which, which was uh, you know X Men uh, from alternate universes yeah. banding together. Which they're now sort of uh, um, Greg Pak is redoing that now, essentially yeah. as Extreme X Men. But it's really the exiles. It's alternate versions of them, and they're sent out of their own reality, so they're lost, and they kind of have to band together to try to you know commit various horrible crimes and do these other missions in order to get back home theoretically sometime. So it's like Lost, the TV series. A, li- a little bit like yeah. that. But again, they have a reason. Well, it turns out there's a plot twist about 50 issues in, which I'm not going to heavily spoiler other than Beep. to say it reminds me. Yeah. It, <laughs> okay. Spoiler horn. Yeah. It, it, mild <laughs> See, spoiler. We need to do like live, live video podcast. This one so you can see the faces we make with spoiler horns. Spoiler <laughs> quack. Um, it, but the exiles, it ends up being actually a little bit more like, uh, the authority and Stormwatch, where it mm-hmm. turns out that there there is a backstory to who is sending them from reality to reality, and yeah. there's like a, a head office for the the time brokers reality yeah. things. But at least, again, there's an underlying principle there. They're, they have to band so together the, for some reason, not just because they're powerful and well, there's the evil most, to fight. One of the most interesting Marvel team ups that I consistently enjoy is X Factor. Um, which centers around Mad- Matt- Jamie Maddox's X-Factor investigations, where he's out of the superhero game. He just wants to solve crimes. This is the multiple man, right? Yeah, yeah. multiple man. Yeah, he's ba- he basically goes by Jamie. Written by sure. Peter David. Written by Peter uh. David. I dropped it after the after the nightmare-inducing birth storyline, but, um, <laughs> but for the first 50 issues or so, it was basically just a bunch of people who... And to be fair, you have the whole their co-workers conceit, but... These guys had more latitude to come and go than, than say, the X-Men seemed to. And it was mostly a, well, I have to learn how to work with you situation. And I like it when the teams aren't living in each other's back pockets, but rather have pretty clearly defined boundaries. This is what we do. This is why we're here. This is how I'm going to relate to you. And I'm going to take a break from you now that we're done. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't understand when they all live and work together and do so for hundreds upon hundreds of issues at a time. Well, plus so, you get the, you get your main characters and your supporting characters, and so you get Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, or you, you get uh, you know Captain America and Iron Man and Wolverine in the yeah. in the comics, but not in the movies because they 20th Century Fox won't let that happen, uh, and Spider Man, but not in the movies because Columbia Pictures won't let that happen. I would worry for Hugh Jackman's health actually if he were to be imported into one of the the the, the Avengers come on movies. hugh jackman robert downey jr oh what would that be like a thousand oprah viewers would explode <laughs> in pure happiness but no like hugh jackman's in his mid 40s underweight like, and overweight chris evans is like this this 20 something yeah. guy he could bench press the rest of them i mean if hugh jackman tries to keep up his heart could burst or something <laughs> i mean it's just anyway right. so the, anyway so the, i've so got those, the are, those are your, your those are your primaries but but the yeah. second then you've got your hawk eyes or your martian man or your hawk man your b, your b player tell, tell me yeah, yeah I, I don't know who the b, b team is you've exposed my complete lack of dc knowledge that i don't even know yeah. who the justice league b team is um, the adam and ant-man are well there. yeah now what you have yeah. their second tier players and the wasp is on the avengers and well with dc they, they're it. also trying to reshuffle things because they keep throwing black canary into like justice league team leadership and and and, and pushing her up to the a, a, a team mm. and while philosophically i have no problem with that i i it, it feels sort of 
contrived. But yeah, you've got your, your you've got your 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 A list in the DC universe, and then you've got the ones who pop in and pop out as necessary, like Red Tornado, and um, definitely a C player. Oh God, I'm you so, know I, I'm I'm even blanking on on the B players at this point because I'm all oh, Zatanna. <laughs> so and sometimes they put the B players in charge. Yeah. Which is funny yeah. and appropriate because I remember reading the Avengers when it was all Vision and Scarlet Witch were basically in charge. And then oh. it was the Avengers West Coast. Oh, sure. It was and Hawkeye's the, team. And the, uh, and the, uh, the, the Great Lakes Avengers, of course, which is yes. one those. So uh, it's, it's interesting <laughs> that we're, very important. we're talking about... I'm just imagining about, them all fishing for, for uh, Pike and Gar we're, together. <laughs> we're talking about team books, right? And, right? and teams. And it's interesting when you think of television you don't think of it's a team show on television you yeah. call it an ensemble cast mm-hmm. and is there a difference between a team book and what happens on television with ensembles i would argue that there is yeah yeah um and you can have ensembles with with lead characters with an ensemble built around them which is you know i see that all the time but it tends to not be super super powery people around them although i'm going to mm-hmm. bring up my favorite TV show of all time, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Here, it turns out that many of the ensemble characters did have powers, but Buffy was at the core of it. As opposed to, I know where you're going with this, which is Top Ten by Alan Moore, which we're going to talk about, which is like Hill Street Blues or and not even like NYPD Blue, like, like Hill Street Blues, where there's yeah. literally shows, no yeah. lead character. No, it's, it's the, great. The main character is the police precinct, and and that's a. You know, or like a, that's like a hospital show, almost like an ER. Well, the main or character like is is the is the is the shared is the universe uh, or the or the fictitious world because you know we, before the podcast started when we were trying to get it going, everybody was talking about all the little details that that build up this fantastic world in top ten, and I think the I, I think the world is the main character, much the same way that Baltimore is the main character of this of the show The Wire. Hmm. You know, everybody else is just kind of moving within it. You know. Yeah. No, that's so. that's that's it. So so. Um, before we get to Alan Moore and top ten, I'm just wondering are there any other any other thoughts? We should we should talk about the Avengers at least briefly mm-hmm. um, in this context. Like like I said, I I enjoyed it. I I thought it was fun. You know, I thought it was fun, and I, I and I liked I enjoyed the interplay because if you're mm-hmm. going to have ridiculously powered people all bumping into each other, you know, you've got to have them fight based on a misunderstanding because yeah. that has to happen. But but you you've got to have those giant outsized personalities and powers bang off each other, and I you know, and that was for me that was what was fun about it is that that it didn't take it seriously and i read that they're going to do you know justice league movie from dc and it's going to be sort of with the same sensibility the same sensibility of christopher nolan kind of stuff and i just think how can it's just i can't even imagine i think it needs to be ridiculous and Mm -hmm. and and that's why i like the event how can you have a christopher (laughs) nolan style movie with aquaman all hail emperor are you just gonna have him like sitting in a murky tank in fairness to to like chris nolan and stuff People for a long time thought you could only do a campy Batman. True, you know. So Joel Schumacher actually was was part of the the <sighs> slide. To- no, but he was part of the slide towards a darker, more complex Batman because first they did it aesthetically and then they did it thematically. I, after his Batman, I vowed never to see a Joe Schumacher <laughs> film ever, and I'm happy to say I've, I've kept I'm that I'm pretty foul. sure most of Hollywood feels the same way. Yeah. Uh, so the Avengers movie, I was pleasantly surprised, and it was, and it was those kind of playful moments of Tony Stark kind of uh, poking Bruce Banner. and, and yeah. uh, well, That's clearly the best thing in the movie is, yeah, the, is it, the Tony Stark-Bruce Banner relationship. Oh, but Thor great. is there, and he's a pain, and Captain America is very square-jawed, and yet has a sense of humor and kind of bursts Tony's bubble. And, and baseball cards. Yeah. And, oh, but yes. it, I thought it was a better movie than 
than it should it, it should have been. Yeah, like it was it really worked well. When you hire a lot of Oscar nominees to run around it, <laughs> in tights, I saw it twice. And the first time I saw it, I saw it an opening weekend with my brother and all of his pals who actually work in and around the comic industry. And it was a very fanish experience. You know, people laughing and applauding and and. Although there was some tool who kept screaming towards the end, you can't leave yet. There's a second stinger scene. There's a second stinger. Which, all right, shut up. Um, it was, yeah. You know, but they're being helpful. So you know, I enjoy and I enjoyed the communal experience and and really got into the movie and was relieved that it was actually good or relieved that it was actually enjoyable because it could have been so bad. It could have been like a fantastic four level bad. And Whew, yeah, that's b- bad. We dodged a bullet, right? So then I rave about the movie and I drag my husband to see it. My husband, who likes neither superhero films nor Joss Whedon. <laughs> yep. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And um, we get out of that, and Phil is like, it's not that I disliked it per se. And I'm all, oh man. And we actually then spent dinner talking about what he correctly pointed out he thought were some of the weak parts of the film such as well it it, tonally everybody sounds alike because everybody sounds so much like a joss whedon character Mm -hmm. you've got you know you've got a billionaire who has basically the same sort of snappy patter as a loner who's been living in calcutta as a off-the-grid doctor as somebody who was raised in the red room in russia as Captain America. <laughs> so you've got these people from five different periods of time and backgrounds who all sound alike. And, you know, that's that's kind of a Joss Whedon tick. It, it is. Um, that said, having again, having seen it twice, better than it had any right to be, an enjoyable experience, and oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, and, and, yeah. and there are arguments. I mean, I, I had this argument with Andy and Ico on, on this podcast that, mm-hmm. that uh, you know, expectations shouldn't factor into it. But I think on one level... On, on one level, it does because if you go in with, to some place with a low expectation and you end up yeah. with a high expectation, that affects your your judgment. But also, I just think about it um, just on a very basic level of could an Avengers movie ever be anything but a train wreck? And it, I would not have put the well, after, chances yeah. very high. See, now. Thor was such a disappointment, even because even with Kenneth Branagh directing it and you had a, a fairly solid cast, it was still a really disappointing, very inert movie. And I thought, you know. We could end up with something just as inert where it's it's there's a mission and they all come together, blah, blah, blah. And instead it was just kind of the zippy, here's how the team gets together. And, oh, by the way, Hawkeye spends most of the movie working against them. And, it was very Joss Whedon. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, I think it only worked because the, he knows how to do I, I, I For the good and for team. the bad, it was yeah. very Joss Whedon. I think given, given all the givens there mm-hmm. of what he had to do because of how they'd set it up, the yeah. fact that he sort of inserted his own voice mm-hmm. in, in the end that he was kind of saving it yeah. I think and he did which is great because actually Mark Ruffalo was the MVP of that movie oh, he, oh really. yeah yeah boy yeah. they finally got it right with the Hulk well, on the third I, I think try it gets yeah. into your expectations third, third. third third try yeah. third, it gets into your expectations because the Hulk's movies were so bad oh my god um, and both in their different ways I, I don't think I've ever seen the Edward Norton one. Oh, it's it's bad in the way the uh, the Superman remake movie was bad. Oh. <laughs> Where it's a little bit too trying to pay homage to yeah. the TV show. They use the music and everything. Oh, dear. The Lonely Man. Yeah. I got to see that So, so. I just want to bring up one more thing that didn't occur to me until just now. The X Men First Class. Oh, yeah. Did a really good kind of team movie that didn't use the kind of humor, Joss Whedon, Pitter Patter. Uh, and still pulled it off. They also had a stellar cast, ex January Jones, though. Cause yeah, yeah, she was not. not see, good. You, see, I have to put in the disclaimer, but you know, when you've got Jennifer Lawrence and um, 
Who was great. James McAvoy yeah. and Michael Fassbinder. It took me a yes. minute to remember his name. I'm like, you know, the guy who's naked a lot. Michael Fassbinder yeah, the all, in the, all, on, all on screen, naked I think. Naked Magneto. Yeah. But, but she's yeah. still pretty. Oh, yeah. Sure. Sure she is. But that was just, yeah. That I, said, I felt like Emma, Emma Frost, that was a Well, here's a question, Frost, though. Who, who, who in Hollywood today would make a really good Emma Frost? Because I have been banging my brains uh, out trying to see, figure this out. It's not a conversation with Lisa without some fantasy movie casting. <laughs> I missed my calling is what I did. We should do a fantasy movie casting episode sometime yes. because you would just own it. Who would be an Emma Frost? I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. Somebody, well, maybe the answer is there isn't anybody in January. Jones was the best they could get. But well, see, you, if you had gotten Gwyneth Paltrow and, in the 1990s, you probably could uh, have had it. But uh, at this point. Uh, no. You, you need I, somebody who's kind of icy and I, yet has wanna, an unexpected streak of, 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 of principle in there. I think I, I, guess I, I'm I, think I hire a model. Tony Stark's Pepper Potts now. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I hire a model, like a, an English is there mm-hmm. if there's like an English supermodel or a European supermodel mm-hmm. who learned English in England and has an English accent? Yeah. That's who I want as Emma Frost. <laughs> right, something super formal. Yeah, yeah, yes. and and she wouldn't act really any worse than January Jones could. So True. even if she's completely yeah, January Jones was a little too soft. Oh, we've got a good uh, in the chat room. Uh, Calabella suggests Trisha Helfer. Ooh, that's not bad. Six from Battlestar Galactica. On, but yeah. yeah, but that's 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 more in line. Yeah. That's more more mm-hmm. down the road. All right. All right. Let, now, before we go on, let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor. Yes, we have a sponsor. It's Immersive. Immersive Books. These are for anyone who loves to read fiction, and I know that the incomparable listeners fall in that category. An immersive book lets the reader, through visual and audio enhancements, connect with fiction in a whole new way. These aren't just... Interactive books, they aren't just ebooks. They're focused on reading. They work with the author's narrative to enhance, extend, and immerse. Everything immersive brings to the experience is intended to keep you reading, not to distract you and pull you out of reading and make you look at notes or footnotes or think about something else. It's meant to keep you in the story and in fact bring you deeper into the story there are sound effects and music that play it's like a background score to the book as you're reading it gets more intense when the story gets more intense there are some brief visual effects that appear um, not on every page but on some pages in special moments Um, and uh, you know it, it really is supposed to make your reading experience more exciting but have it be part of the same experience that you'd get reading a book. Um, And, you know, the idea here is that if you stop reading a book and come back to it and think, uh, you know, who is this person again? There's a glossary, but it's not just a glossary like a Wikipedia page about the book. It actually updates as you go through the book. So wherever you are in the book, it will tell you what you need to know then and not what's going to spoil you for the rest of the book. The first book from Immersive is H.G. Wells's War of the Worlds. So it's it's got a unique reading experience you can't get anywhere else. It's a classic sci-fi novel. If you haven't read it before, I read this book in high school. But they've added cinematic sound, ambient music, and special effects, all time to occur as you read, to draw you deeper into Wells's world. There's an interactive map that's updated as you move along in the story, and you see what the author is doing and what the Martian invaders are doing in War of the Worlds. Uh, As you're reading, there's a subtle soundtrack and some ambient noise in the background. But when you read about the Martian pods opening and steam escaping, you'll actually hear a sound effect of the steam escaping timed perfectly. You turn the page and you'll see some words actually catch fire as the aliens attack. 
and starts setting things on fire. The page shakes a little bit as you hear an explosion. It's meant to make you feel that you're immersed, hence the name, in this book, uh, but also to keep you engaged and keep you reading. So Immersive's first book is War of the Worlds Immersive Book. It's $2.99, available for sale in the iTunes store. You can learn more at Immersive.com. That's e dash m-e-r-s-i-v dot com or visit e-mersive.com slash five by five to check out a video of the war of the world's ebook in action that's e-m-e-r-s-i-v dot com let's move on and talk about our book uh, of top the day 10, top 10, which is top, top 10, 10 by alan moore and gene ha and um and zan and candor and With lettering Sand- by Todd Sander Klein. Cannon. Xander Cannon, sorry. Let sure. us not. Let's, Todd Klein does the lettering, and he does a really okay. good job. All right. And I mentioned that because he's doing the lettering for Fables now, too, and that's mm. another one that requires a lot of different uh, stuff. So, Top Ten started in 1999. and As part of America's Best Comics. America's Best Comics. Written and can, owned by uh, an Englishman. An Englishman, which was hysterical. Sure. Well. Um, and for those. Uh, so, so, where to begin with this thing? This thing is so big and f- overflowing with ideas and images that it it, it kind of takes i mean this is not something this is not a so, comic you can blow through no, right it's, no. it's not it, it is so mm-hmm. dense but but i will say before we get into it i wanted to just say for people who think watchmen is alan moore's definitive take on superheroes and then he went on to do lots of other things um he went back to superheroes in 1999 and did them really really and well and it's amazing it may not be you know it's not watchmen is shaped very differently than something like top 10 which is hill street blues with mm-hmm. superhero cops but it is it is so much more if you liked alan moore's kind of commentary on 80s comics in watchmen his commentary on superheroes in late 90s early 2000s in top 10 is something you better not miss because it's it's fantastic and dense and just he, hilarious. His, it he, is so so funny. If he emptied his bucket of ideas about superheroes and Watchmen, it refilled because this, <laughs> and, and then he got another bucket. <laughs> it's so, just amazing. So, so what he was trying to accomplish with this, uh, from reading interviews with him at the time, uh, he in in his reading comics never thought team books worked. Uh, didn't think the interplay between the characters and the way the stories flowed worked. And he wondered why a comic book couldn't read like a cop show or a lawyer show on television, essentially an ensemble. Why aren't team books Pure ensemble cast? Ensemble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so he went out to, he literally created a cop comic book. And the cop comic book just happens to be in a, a world where everybody has superpowers. So right. the cops, the people, the animals. And it's part of an acknowledged multiverse, so that right. these guys are also aware that there are other universes where di- other other parallel Earths where where outcomes have been different, and they can travel back and forth between them. And in fact, their yeah. management hierarchy goes up into the multiverse. Yes. So the the commissioner is from you know universe one, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep. is and is supervising them, and they're in universe ten, yes. which is why it's called t- top ten. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think. Uh, for what he was trying to accomplish with that ensemble cast and like make it feel just like a police kind of television drama, I would say he more than accomplished. Well, he starts off the book with a time-honored cop show convention. Which new, we, new cop, new cop rookie first, cop. rookie cop first, then job <laughs> comes in. And you think about how many how many cop shows start with that premise where there's a new cop who gets transferred into the division and they're forced to figure out everything in a hurry and 
oh, we're seeing the show through the eyes. And it's overwhelming. Yeah. Because this book is so dense and it's overwhelming for her too. Yeah. And And it's supposed to be. So you don't feel, you don't feel like, am I missing something? No, no, you're not. Or yes, you're missing everything because it's so, it's Mm -hmm. so dense. Yeah. No, it feels very much like a TV show in in that um, the individual issues Mm -hmm. tend to have some self-contained plots or at least some short plots. I, I kept thinking of Homicide. Yes. Um, yes, the, the it's great very TV show much like Homicide. or The Wire, but very much like Homicide, where it was where it was a little more episodic because of mm-hmm. the network, and you would have episodes where you know short term plots would happen over one or two episodes, and then there would be some longer term arcs. Mm-hmm. And Top Ten is like that. There there are crimes that that are are committed and resolved in one issue or one or two issues, and some are messier and they go over three, four, five, six issues and where then they there's unspool. An overarching plot and that then goes over all twelve, like the season long story yeah. arc and. Yep. And and he and it's, it's just masterful. Such smart plotting. Oh my gosh, it's just really smart plotting. When because you go back and you look at the structure of the story and mm. all of the little callbacks that they do back and forth. Um, it, it, and I like along those lines how the various plots kind of flowed in and out, mm-hmm. and the characters flowed in and out. So one character who is super important in one issue, you don't see them or the plot for a couple issues because other things come up, even though you may hear a little bit about it, and that you get to like see slices of all the characters' lives. Mm-hmm. You meet some of their families, go to some of their homes, and see them outside of their work environment. Uh, and the, the fact that one character wasn't uh, highlighted any more than any other yeah. character. Well, I like the, the character progression they do with Smacks over the course of the series, where in right. the first this one, he's the, this just this the, really closed-off jerk, and by, like... This is the new cop's partner, yeah. Smacks, and who is... And he's this tall, blue, invulnerable. black... Yeah. Invulnerable. And in the first issue, he's kind just... kind of a jerk. He, well, he's, in the first issue, he's a total toolbox. Yeah. <laughs> not to be confused with toy box. And then you see, I think, in, like, issue 10 at the very end, or issue 11, after she's been incapacitated and can't take care of her Alzheimer's-ridden father, you see him bathing her father for her and taking care. And you realize just kind of how their relationship has developed and how he's actually developed a little bit as a character over the course, right, too. And they don't beat you over the head with it. Right before that happened, mm-hmm. his uncle who raised him died. Yeah. Or he found out died, even though you kind of saw a glimpse of that like several issues yeah. earlier. It was, it's it's the letter, such yeah. masterful, like you said, kind of weaving of the plots. Oh, plus the extermination plot with the cats and the mice. Oh yeah, my God. yeah. So, 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 who's 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 aunt's house or mom's house? Is so, the, uh, the uh, dust rider, dust. Oh, the guy with the guy with the cowboy hat. His mom's Wayne is his name. Has an dust, has, dust devil. He has an infestation her in his mom's house of mice. Super powered, and, and mice. it turns out they're super powered mice from uh, from various realities, and they're also super powered cats. And they begin to reenact like there's. But a, you look at the super the powered mice, and I of, think they're actually cats. dressed like the Justice League. Mm-hmm. Well, some of them are. Some of yeah. them are dressed like the Fantastic Four. Yeah. There's because because Galactus. Uh, There's ma- the Galactus cat. Cat comes. <laughs> I was getting to, I, so I pulled up the scene. So what happens? Oh. Uh, and perhaps this is a spoiler alert, but not really. Because uh, the comic is like 13 years matter. old right. at this so, point, it's not a spoiler. So there's, yeah. there's the superpower mice. So of course you call an exterminator who brings superpowered cats. Of course. And so then, uh, so La- then several issues later. Uh, Laugh you, out loud. It's you, like Days you, of Futures right. Past yeah, in there. Yeah, so, so the cats and the mice are now waging these wars, and there's a moment where the guy says, it's he says I actually have it here. I got a dog. The, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, the guy, and he's like, no dogs, no. Yeah. No, what I really so love Dwayne, is the constant where he's like, well, you know, they're going to get into alternate universes at this point, and their continuity is going to get screwed yeah. up. So Dwayne, Dwayne uh, comes back to check on it, and uh, the exterminator tells him it's not, not going well. 
and actually says, you see, you get enough science animals together, it's a big event. Next thing, it escalates, and you get a whole secret crisis war crossover <laughs> thing going. <laughs> Inevitably, cosmic powers get involved. You know how it is. You know how it and is. you turn the page, and you see the Galacticus, Galacticus cat, cat and the, uh, Mr. the what's it, Eternity Mouse. <laughs> yeah. As long as many other mice and cat characters fighting it out in his mother's apartment. Of course, the whole thing about this is now his mother is living with him, mm-hmm. which is uh, why her house is infected, which is really affecting his sex life. Yeah. And yeah. he's got to like, clean up his act. And he's not liking that. What I really enjoy is how his mother back in the 60s was an interrogator known as Ruther Dare. Right. <laughs> Who took the whole truth thing to a whole new level. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they're like, all oh, moms are like, this. not this one. Yep. So, so let's see, what other, I mean, there's some fascinating characters, but they, they we've got the, uh, there's the, the woman who is, she's actually naked all the time, yeah. but her skin makes artificial clothing. Girl, Girl one. one. But, um, different, she's from a different earth. But Caesar, the sergeant, who's a dog. Yes, with a cybernetic human skeleton that he wears. C- can see. He doesn't see color. Yeah. And so he he knows that she's naked all along, and she's very upset. And there's this fascinating scene where he says, "Look, don't worry about it. I'm not attracted to you. I'm a dog. I like dogs, mm-hmm. not people." And then there's a twist yeah. at, in that because it turns out maybe he does like people, but or maybe he just likes that specific person. So, and I there, mean, there's a woman you're never sure. There's the woman who can can walk through walls. Mm-hmm. There's the woman who the, the receptionist the, at, the, yeah. at the police force is Janice, is Janice, Janice. and she's two faced. Janice. From, well, it's just such a beautiful play uh, on on because all all police dispatchers are always named Janice or Janice, and uh, then you have somebody who's who's she's actually the two headed god yeah. basically, and, and the, she and may the two or may sides not have been like fired from that other precinct. Yes. Yeah. In, in the other, uh, in on the other Earth, in the Grand Central yeah. precinct, so, it's crazy. There's no, so, so much. clearly we all you know. Like it's this. funny that you mentioned the homicide life on the street um, parallel because there's an issue. I'm trying to find it. Right and while now. you're doing that, the just for the audience listening at home, often when we're <laughs> sitting here. We have the comics on our iPads, or we've all read it digitally. For some, this is the first time I think we've come in. All of us have a hard copy of the book in front of us, and are like yeah. thumbing through. And yeah. before this started, we're pointing out stuff. That's is well, it? It's pretty why? rare. For and us it's to not. Do that. It's yeah. not available digitally, as far as I can tell. I did a search on Comicsology last night, but I have yeah. the, But I have the trade that I got from Amazon. So there, are the yeah. you know the paper collections are out there. It's unfortunate that um, the episode with the teleporter accident is almost a frame for frame remake of, of the a homicide, homicide life episode on the street where, episode where Vincent, Vincent D'Onofrio is pushed off the platform onto it, and he gets stuck tracks. between a platform and a, and a subway car and he's cut in half and he it, they know he's going to die. The minute it, they move the car, it's going to kill it's him. It's going to break off the pressure. Too, and, yeah. and, and basically, the entire episode is a bottle episode between him and Andre Brower where they talk. Yeah. And it was all, a really touching scene. Yeah. Or, you know, issue, yeah, that, that, essentially. Yeah, well, it's basically the same thing where the, where the giant rook is is issuing these philosophical profundities while the born-again Christian is talking to the guy who's stuck inside the giant rook. And it was Yes, because they're these giant alien animal guys who are playing the great game and you think that they're like they're the they're the the huge gamers or whatever they are giant gamers and uh and there's a teleporter accident and they're they're kind of intertwined and his the guy's wife is dead on arrival and yeah. this guy's gonna die and then they're really mad at this other guy even the gamer even though he didn't wasn't involved he's like this isn't a game and by the end the you the, realize, you realize that it's chess they are they are uh, it's a it's a, essentially a philosophy or a religion, and the game is life. Yeah. And the black pieces are chaos, and the white pieces are order amid the chaos. And, and their creed is that every time you see a star, it's proof that order and higher values have triumphed over chaos and right. entropy. Because and, as one of the last things that the guy, dying guy says is, 
uh, well, gee, if you look up there, there's way more black than white. So, yeah. uh, so is black winning? And and the the dying uh, creature says, no, no, no. Look at all that white. It started out all black. Yeah, which is just beautiful. And we can go. And, and so go. weird. And yet so beautiful. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. in one issue that starts with one of the characters. With series. Peregrine waking up and, and next to her husband and taking a shower and putting on her costume yeah. and hearing on the radio that there's been this accident and going there. And, and, and by the end, we've had this whole kind of story happen in a single issue, which is also pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, because we keep talking about how dense this book is. Oh, yeah. And it actually <laughs> takes a long time to read an issue, which hasn't happened for me reading a no. comic in a long time. Um, no, most modern comics, you can just blow through them, right? Because the backgrounds aren't that compelling, and yet I found myself reading every single billboard on the street because they've got yeah. the hair. They've got they've got a billboard for hair gel that turns your Wolverine like hair into actual human hair, um, which <sighs> mm-hmm. I thought was a wonderful throwaway joke. Um, there's a guy when he hallucinates, he hallucinates um, all of the characters from the Sandman, and yeah. you see them popping around. And so the character, the, the the main guy who you're talking to the whole time, who's stuck in the giant rook, and his mm-hmm. wife, who's already dead, they're based on. Um, DC guy with the rocket and he goes to the other world and Adam Strange who himself is based on just was that Disney movie that failed the um, John Carter John Carter Mm -hmm. and essentially because he talks about how he and his wife go to that other planet and do these adventures and And she's from that other planet and if you look at their costumes it's very similar and Mm -hmm. so like there's just so much density and it's not it's referential to not just comics but you um literature mm-hmm. uh, like Alan Moore likes to do but then you also have all the Hanna-Barbera characters are in there at yes. different points it's really this incredible rich uh, reading experience that I can't believe they never made an absolute collection because I would love to be able to see these panels bigger and really dig into them yeah I wonder I what, the, like what the, the deal is with the no digital availability and the uh, and, and the lack of a, a kind of a large size collection for these because this is this is Un, you know, I, I heard about this. I think maybe even from you, um, and uh, I'm amazed that more people. I mean, some people seem to know about it, but it, it's yeah. it's really kind of amazing stuff. And and even among Alan Moore's work, it seems to be kind of not even noticed. More people are more likely to talk about Promethea, I think, than this. And Promethea is another one that you have to read very slowly yeah. because the backgrounds are just beautiful. yeah. But they're really more likely to talk about Watchmen from oh, yeah. Hell. V for Vendetta. His 80s work rather than his 90s work. Yeah. Swamp Thing, yeah. I can never say Swamp Thing without hearing Wild Thing in my head in the background. <laughs> swamp Thing. <laughs> but, um, no, what I, one of the, the things, and this is not really spoiling the series, I really enjoy the critical eye he casts on comic book culture as a whole, both and, and the, we see the lighthearted part of that with the extermination plot line where, oh, it's cats and mice reenacting some of the greatest crossover events from DC and Marvel. And then you get the really dark stab you in the gut twist when you find out what the seven sentinels have been up to. Mm-hmm. And um, Kevin Smith had kind of broached the same subject when he rebooted Green Lantern. And one of the lines that's a throwaway line is when they revived Oliver Queen is like, what were we thinking running around with all of these sidekicks? But um, this just takes it in a whole new and dark Direction One that's completely plausible within the universe and for a police precinct. And you, you look at that and you're like, oh, wow, that's that's dark. <laughs> right. It suddenly becomes an episode of that special victims unit. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's just another really, really trenchant criticism of the kind of things that 
mainstream comic readers will just say, oh, of course so-and-so has a stable of teenagers so, living in their house. Why wouldn't okay, you? Okay, I'm going to take it back, beep. by the way. I, 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 I searched last night for top 10 and didn't find it on Comixology because I put a space between top and 10. Mm-hmm. But if you search for top 10, T-O-P-1-0, no spaces, it is those 12 issues of, of the original top 10 are mm-hmm. available digitally. You can go out and get them. Uh, Don't. One, get the one books. by one, but get the yeah, books. get the books because one, you, you for, really for do want each. the. But I, yeah, Amazon's got the the, the trade paperback. You want the tactile experience because I, I read them both this way and by blowing them up on my, my huge monitor, and I have to tell you, I still was able to pick up a whole lot more in terms of expressions and art with the paper copy. Oh. Yeah, it, it, the detail is is. I mean, my first introduction into that level of detail was Watchmen and mm-hmm. thinking, oh, my God, I can read this multiple times and get something new out of it mm-hmm. by slowing down, knowing that I already know the plot and just going back and looking in the corners. The funny thing is this book is so dense that I, you almost can't you can't do the old I'm going to do a pass and then come back. You just can't. It's There's too much. And I can understand how that ma- means that this is probably not the most accessible book out there. It is super dense. But... Um, if but you it's have really a weekend, good. it's a good Yeah, book. but actually, I wonder, would it be possible to ignore all of those references and all of that density and just read it as a cop murder, yeah, yeah. who done it kind of thing? I, I should hand I, it I to it Phil. He's like my litmus test for this. No, I'm not <laughs> yeah. kidding. He's like my well, litmus he, test for this. But stuff. you ha- you got to be comic literate in the sense of being able to read the form because yeah. it is so dense. Yeah. Um, it's, not a, it's not an easy read that way, but um, it's, uh, I think... It works. I mean, some of the references are. I assumed I was missing lots of references, and the the overarching story doesn't require the references. Are there no. really no, no annotations I, online yet? Because I, that that's it's been a long time since I searched. The last time I did, there wasn't, and of course yeah. that could have been a decade ago. Yeah. Um. So there there might be today. But, uh, what we but, need is for like a group of teenage girls to embrace this as their fandom because they would pull it together. There is nothing like a bunch of, of college girls on Tumblr to, to take something and dissect it panel by panel. Yeah. So and one of my the favorite room goes wild. How dare she say that? One of my favorite scenes is when they're uh, when Smacks visits his partner Toy Box in the hospital. Yeah. After the the big uh, battle at the precinct has happened, and as he's walking through the hallways in the hospital, you see every Doctor character. Ever so, like <laughs> Doctor Who is there, Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom, Doctor Fate. Basically, any Doctor character is you can kind of glimpse wandering the halls of this uh, hospital, which is. And most I'm con- wondering what kind of doc- the doctoring Doctor Doom would actually practice. <laughs> He's a very bad doctor. OBGYN. It's internal. Internal. Probably pediatrics. It's internal medicine. He specializes in taking your internal things and moving them to the external by mm. a blast. I have to look at these. Um, I, I have found a site uh, that has that claims to have uh, annotations of top ten from from panel by panel. Two. It uh, looks like because if you ever read the Watchmen, not the Watchmen, annotated Watchmen is amazing. The annotated um, Kingdom Come is is insane. Um, if you ever find those oh, yeah, annotations, yeah, yeah. that that is that is just that's another book that boggling. Yeah, De- the detail ones where you really could just study it carefully. For it is a amazing long that Alex Ross could do work after that book, like, yeah. and is not just in a room somewhere mumbling about DC continuity. Well, that's so, how that's how I feel about top ten. Is like yeah. this 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 is the feeling of a uh, of a work that drove its creators mad because it's that level of like effort that must have been poured into it. Yeah, yeah I don't think the three of them have worked together again. <laughs> I don't know what that means, no. but uh, so let's talk about it as a as a cop story. Then, how does it compare to other cop stories? Like, I don't know if you've read Powers. 
I haven't, which I is have, a Bendis yeah, cop, yeah, I, I read it, cop um, kind of story, and they're actually normal cops in a superhero world, yeah. where these are superhero cops in a superhero world, um, and Criminal, I guess by Brubaker, it's, Brubaker, it's not quite Brubaker. the same thing. No, I haven't read that one. But all right, just looking at it then, just as a, a whodunit cop murder mysteries, how does it stand up in a classic kind of thing? So I always thought the Bendis books really fell down, where it was sort of like you go through six issues of a murder story, and then suddenly the, they find out who did it, and it was like a character they just introduced three oh, minutes uh, before you found out they did it. And you're like, what? No. What is this, Agatha Christie? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's not the yeah. way the genre works. So how did this hold up? Uh, bear in mind, I'm going to compare this to a TV show just because I think that both this series and TV shows tend to benefit from the episodic nature of the storytelling because you can loop in different stories of different duration. And um, while we started with the Hill Street Blues thing, um, this is almost like a Southland or... Um, well, I would say it's it's almost like Southland, which is currently on TNT and is a very good cop show. And uh, I would say the case is held up because you had your really obvious ones, which were, you know, I roll and solve, like the murder of Baldur. And then um, I, 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 there were like two twists I did not see coming, and maybe it's because I didn't read closely enough. But when you have the syn- the, the synesthesia detective who, who throughout the entire um, book is is – She's like, well, I hear classical music, I hear Beethoven, and then gradually she narrows it down to Ode to Joy. Right. And then that turns out to be what unlocks, like, two separate cases at once. I was all, wow. Yeah. Wow. Because I'm sure all the pieces were there, and if I go back and reread again, I'll be able to see that they're all there. But on the first – that that shock of the fresh where where all of a sudden all the pieces come together, and it's it's the – I was just talking to Kaiser Soze moment like that. (laughs) Well, because it was, because you're like, oh, my gosh, all the pieces are in front of me, and – and and now and now that it's a glorious hole, um, yeah. I, I I was really satisfied as a reader, like on and not just on an oh this is pretty and it's so detailed and it rewards me as a comic book reader. I was really satisfied as a it has kept it has it has rewarded me for paying attention and it has still managed to surprise me. Yeah, it's it's you want a combination of characters and story. So if it's just the mystery, I think it's less interesting, and if it's just the characters, it's less interesting. Ugh, yeah, but you do enjoy the. You know, the eye-rolling cases that are not that interesting are are funny from a character perspective. Like, yeah, we got to do our job. And then there are these more, the long games that get played. You know, I really enjoyed the the creature, the alien creature that was down in the sewers storyline yeah. where mm-hmm. it's menacing for a long time. And you're like, what is it? And what is happening? And, and then the explanation is is fairly simple. And yeah. All, is, oh. There's this alien creature that's eating people down yeah. in the sewers. That's the, that's what you know. she does when she's not being a porn star. Yeah. That was, that was my favorite part. Of it. Yeah. But she was a big 50s superhero. Yeah. 50s yeah. superhero and then a 70s style porn star and now she eats people. Now she eats people. Yeah, that was that and was sends wild. out telepathic projections, which yeah, and they and that they really disturb her. people. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so I, I thought it worked on both levels. Oh yeah, yeah. I wish more cop shows were actually like this. To be to be frank, with um, superpowers. No, no. To where where, where there was a, a healthy element of loopiness because one of the problems with cop shows on TV, I think, is a lot of them are just way too freaking serious. Um, there's a series I was watching on Hulu this summer called The Unusuals, which was a failed ABC series that actually managed this balance of um, of levity and gravity. And so naturally it failed. But um, <laughs> this reminded me of that in a way where you have these characters who all have, who all bring their own baggage to work and, and uh, still manage to get the job done. And some of it's very funny and some of it is not. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the, the, the one I found well, – the two ones I found really funny were the uh, – uh, the Godzilla oh my character. God. Especially when his dad comes to bail him out. Yeah. 
yeah, I will destroy you all. And they shrink him down and yeah. pick him up in their hands. I'm not going to be big like my Uncle Gojira. Right. <laughs> uh, and it turns out most of his menacing of the city was just because he was drunk and fell down on it. Yeah. And he happened to be a very that big... That when you're large like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then the uh, God Bar. Oh, that murderer. was just great. Where there is a bar where all of the gods hang out and the police are called because... It's when they interview Zeus and he's like, this used to be the kind of place you could take your whole pantheon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we should say, there, there's a lot of funny stuff in here. Yeah. It, it, is, yeah. it is funny and horrifying kind of all at the same time. And uh, yeah, it's, it's the, a, the, an amazing thing. This is essentially, I, I always say this when I tell people about it and tell them, oh, you have to pick up top 10. It is one of the three books I would bring to a desert island if I had to spend the rest of my life with only three books. Wow. What are the other two? Uh, Sandman. And I'm leaving the third one still open. Okay. Yeah. you got a slot open in case if, something falls you in. You know, there. I reread right. Sandman like within the last six months. This was the hazard of packing up my comics when we were moving because I ended up rereading a lot of them and that's why it took like three days to pack them. And, um, I was actually shocked at how weirdly the art sits on my eyes now because, you know, yeah. at the time it was very um, exper- edgy. edgy and experimental. And now you're like, oh, that's cute. Or, ooh, that, that didn't work out. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to see what, what has withstood the test of time or what actually, like, inspired artists as, as comics kept moving through the 90s and into the audience and, and what was just kind of a non-starter. And so in so you of art, you had mentioned something about the art of top 10 before yeah. we started this. Whereas I really miss 1990s comic arts. Not not like the stuff with pouches and no feet, but like... Right, this isn't very image-like. <laughs> so that's why I didn't, no. when you said 1990s, I didn't... Yeah. To me, this didn't feel 90s. No. I, I, okay. I guess a more accurate thing is I miss this kind of art between this and, say, Promethea, which is also similarly full-bodied and very colorful and very detailed. And um, It seemed kind of very 80s... In the sense of like your Mike Zek Secret Wars mm-hmm. or your uh, John Byrne Fantastic Four, yeah. where mm-hmm. it's good storytelling, good backgrounds, yeah. good just solid classic comics. I remember at the time somebody said that that it was Alan Moore trying, and this was America's best comics name was a part of this too. It's like Alan Moore was trying to um, make superheroes. You know, he made superheroes not fun. Now he's going to make them fun again, and in in a way that it's going to be bright, and he's going to sort of take it was it was meant. I remember somebody saying, I think maybe even the marketing at the time was that this was Alan Moore kind of uh, trying to undoing the damage he did yeah, with Watchmen. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of saying, wait a second, you've misunderstood. I, I do like the bright colors and the people in the funny costumes, and there there is more to tell there. And, or maybe and, it was Alan Moore saying there's something very beautiful about quotidian daily life where people get up and have their, their, their families, and they do their jobs, and they deal with the circumstances that live around them. So and, that's, and there's something noble and beautiful and pretty about that. It doesn't have to merely, oh, look, there are special flying people going through the air. Let us all bow down as if before a god, but rather... Oh look, this is my life. Isn't it gorgeous the way it is? So let's talk about that for a minute because I think it was it was sort of interesting that uh, the characters when they went home and took off their costumes sometimes mm-hmm. it was very surprising. Yeah, like the um, uh, uh, wolf spider mm-hmm. who is this giant kind of mechanoid Japanese animation looking character that turns out is like a really old dude who has no legs. Yeah. Uh, when he took off the costume, or uh, the bird woman, what was her name? Peregrine. Peregrine. Peregrine, who looks like Susan Powder when she takes off her right. Outfit. And yeah. then, and then you you make assumptions about that because mm-hmm. she looks that way, and her you, you we already know her partner is gay. Yeah. And then, like another issue for later, it turns out well, no, she's, she's actually a, a Christian conservative. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, and so he does a lot of this kind of like literally 
and uh, metaphorically taking off the layers mm -hmm. of the characters and having these little surprises with each one. I think it's telling the toy box is the only one who, who stays remarkably consistent in, in terms of her look. Um, but she's our, she's our viewpoint in a way. She's yeah. our entry point. She's the conduit, not a real character. That said, she's also the one who, again, she looks the most 90s because she's got the clunky boots and the, the mini skirt and the exposed midriff. And that was that was kind of a thing in the late 90s, early 80s. Like um, Rising Stars is going around at the same time, too. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and there's yeah. lots of that. There was lots of that. It was kind of it was kind of, a, it was kind of a aesthetic. Um, <laughs> even in the mainstream ones, where you'd see them all out, where you'd see a, a thousand superheroes sitting down to have dinner, and the women were always wearing crop tops. You know. Wow. So. There's a team book that isn't a team book. <laughs> rising stars. So the other thing I was struck with a kind of plot line that going. You know, on. we you know if we ever had a rising stars podcast, I, I think you I would vent your rage. Oh, at the I end. would be so sweet because it's really it's really good. And then <laughs> until it, the last two issues, know. and then it just craps over the previous twenty two. Oh, it yeah. makes me so mad. I never read it. Oh, be I would be glad actually because then you just I don't know. There's some good stuff in there, but the first eight issues are fantastic. The second eight issues are like okay, we've we've up the stakes. They're they're great, and then and this is classic. I'm sorry. This is classic J. Michael Straczynski, where he builds these great worlds and he identifies these great stakes, and there's all these conflicts. And then at the very end, it's all meh. So he's not a he's not a closer. No, no. absolutely not. A, they should bring in a closing pitcher for him, like a closing writer, perhaps. No, but they did that with the one more day, and that was really bad. See, I, I haven't read that. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh wait a minute! Isn't one more day the name of the plot line where 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 Spider Man sells sells, sells his soul. soul to the devil in order to save Aunt May, or sells his marriage to the devil to save Aunt May? And he had he like had, nowhere in there. He's like maybe Aunt May would like to be reunited with Uncle Ben in the afterlife. I mean, I would rather keep her alive as a grieving widow. That's that that makes sense. Oh, yeah. All right. So another thing that we talked about at the beginning of top ten. Mm -hmm. It starts with the. The, the new cop that yeah. is your your um, your entry into this world. And then the final issue. So then the second to the final issue, mm -hmm. they introduce another new cop because they had, they had a lot of their plot lines kind of come together in yeah. the 10th issue and massive destruction and stuff. And the, one of the cops dies. Yes. Um, not a spoiler. Not a spoiler. Since we don't uh, know who it is. So in, in number 11, then, mm -hmm. they introduce another new cop. But interestingly, he's very foreign. In the yeah. uh, compared to the first new cop they mm -hmm. introduce, right? Who is a, literally a human character in one of us, and now this guy is a nineteen uh, seventy shogun warrior mm -hmm. looking character. And there's been throughout the entire thing, there's been a couple of prejudices they've talked about. Yeah. The sexuality's been there. The um, different species, different species, yes. species, and then robots. And mm -hmm. this guy happens to be a a robot. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that he, Alan Moore is essentially doing almost the first story again, but, but from a different point of view. But now that you're used to the, the, the precinct and all the rules and regulations, now it's time to up the weird factor. Whereas if you had started the first episode with, meet your entree into this world, it's a samurai robot, that would have been a little inaccessible. Whereas now he's, he's kind of giving the reader more credit for understanding the, the internal workings of the universe and then pointing out that this is actually how the universe works. And it may be a cliche, but at the end of that 11th issue mm -hmm. with this robot-y character who's very foreign, he ends up being one of the most relatable, interesting characters in the whole series. Yeah. Were there any characters that any of you guys had trouble relating to through the series? Or, or were they all equally like, eh? Interesting. There's so many different characters yeah. that I just if if there's somebody that I had a problem relating to, I would just wait a couple panels and we'd be on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, so, visually, I really liked Shockhead Peter. Mm -hmm. 
um, who is this kind of geeky looking guy with a skull on his shirt. But when he does his electric powers, it's you see his skull kind of glowing. And I yeah. thought, you know, visually, that's a really interesting thing. Mm-hmm. But for him, they didn't do a lot of character development with him. And he was kind of like the a little bit backwards yeah. hick mm-hmm. kind of character. And he remained that the entire time. So I was a little disappointed we didn't see more of him because visually I liked him so much. Yeah. Um, where Irma... Um, we got to meet her whole family and yeah. her husband, who's an out-of-work precog. Yeah, right. It, it kind of plays with it because at, at one point you're like, oh, he actually has no powers and is not a precog. Because like when, but then there's that last panel. But then there's the last panel. And yeah, and you're like, just, oh. oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. I need to yeah. call her. Right, call where he has this kind no. of death vision, and yeah. you're like, wait, yeah. wait, I just you just made me believe he didn't have any issues, <laughs> and the whole precog <laughs> thing, people were just kind mm-hmm. of uh, patronizing him on. So if we have to sum up top 10, I think it seems pretty clear that the summation is you should go out and get there. I think it's two volumes, right? Volume yep. one and two, which takes you for the first 12 issues. Yeah. What they call season one of top 10. Right. So what, what happens after that? I, I somebody in the chat room was saying, don't, don't read season two. Well, so well, season if you're two, saying that, then right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow their advice <laughs> yeah, because just, it's like reading the sequel. To season Kingdom two Come. happened don't. years later and was not done by, um, Alan Moore. Alan Moore. No. It was Paul but there is, um, Alan Moore did do uh, the Smacks, or he was involved in Smacks, which was then the, that one main character you meet in the first issue. You go on to see his family in a story just about him. And then he did the 49ers, which was a prequel mm-hmm. to Top Ten and takes people like the the captain of the precinct who's named uh, Jet Lad, um, he, back when he was a kid and how he started out. Uh, and you get to meet some of these characters that they touched on in top 10 uh, and it's it's definitely worth a read and is beautiful artwork just like this um and is a really pretty incredible hmm. so right. those two are good top 10 season two not mm, so much not so much all right all right that's good advice mm-hmm. yeah but at top 10 if if you have a a limited shelf space for comics and, and you only want to have like classic library comics top 10 really deserves to be on it yeah. all right that's good. I'm glad I, I have been reading them. I'm, I haven't been let down. In fact, it was great to go back and reread because it's been a little while and, and uh, I knew what I was getting into this time. And so having this warning of it's dense and there's yeah. a lot in there and you need to take your time, but it's really rewarding. It's, it's been so long out. between comic book clubs and this is why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, took us, it took us this long. To read yeah. this book. Okay, so... Cool. What, do you want to do a quick second on what people are reading well, Yeah, now? what are you reading? You got it. You know, what, you know what's next. You know the format. So, uh, what wh- I what am I reading? I bought. Uh, I went to a comic store when I was in Massachusetts. I went to um, Outer Limits in Waltham, Massachusetts, and I got what did I get? I got. I'm going to read uh, uh, Usagi Yojimbo, which I have never read before, which is the Rabbit Samurai. Um, I bought volume one of that on the recommendation of a bunch of a bunch of people. Uh, Mouse Guard, I've got, that my son read and loved the fall um, mm-hmm. Mouse Guard, the that first one. Mm-hmm. Um, looks beautiful. I haven't read it yet, but uh, that was that, that's looking really good. I bought Lock and Key, Volume 1, because I read Lock and Key, Volume 4, of course. <laughs> because it was nominated for a Hugo Award for the Best Graphic Presentation, and so I read that. I got, the, I got that for free for being a Hugo voter, and I liked it enough to say, hmm, I should probably read this from the start. And that's Joe Hill, who's Stephen King's kid. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I thought that it's, it's kind of uh, dark and horrific. And, and yet I thought, I thought volume four 
from what I could understand of it, having not read volumes one through three, was actually pretty good. Um, and I also read the latest um, collection of the of the unwritten mm-hmm. because that was also a Hugo nominee. Was that was that uh, number four or number five? I think that was number four. Yeah, because I just finished that one. And uh, which is also kind of weird and dark and strange. Um, and then what was the other thing that I bought? I, I bought another. Uh, book. Oh, I bought a book for my kids that was a, yeah. one of those, um, uh, not DC Super Pets, Tiny Titans, mm-hmm. the, the Art mm-hmm. Balthazar, uh, which is a really oh, great fun. They uh, are fun. Because yeah. they're, they're, it's not just like comics for kids. It's like crazy, you know, sort of like drawn and drawn for kids and, and really It reminds me a lot and, of Animaniacs. Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of thing. It's, it's almost, got that sensibility. It's like an animated series taken into a book. But yeah. um, So that's what I'm, that's sort of what I've been looking at. And then I've been rereading Exiles. Uh, because I got off on that by reading the the X Extreme X Men by Greg Pak, which I'm I'm excited about. With the mm-hmm. it's the alternate uh, it's Kid Nightcrawler from Brooklyn, New York, but it is Kurt Kurt Wagner from Brooklyn, New York, and he's <laughs> t- he's ten years old and he's blue and he can teleport. And then it's uh it's uh, James Howlett, the governor, her Majesty's governor general of something or other, but it's alt Wolverine. There's an alt Emma Emmeline Frost. There's an alt Emma Frost. There's a floating bubble containing the severed head of Charles Xavier. Um, and the Dazzler, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's and that's a super team, and they go from alternate reality to alternate reality, and I, I think that's going to be good. Nice. Let's see. So that's what I'm reading, Lisa. Mm-hmm. What are you reading? I, I finally caught up on Scalped, um, which I think is a series that I may be the only one reading right now. And is anyone in the chat room reading Scalped? Can anyone else talk to speak to how awesome it is, or is it just me? Anyone? anyone? Huh. Um, um, we're lo- we're looking. Yeah. Um, There's a delay. We'll see what they say. Because as you know, it's as you know, it's the uh, it's the the noir set on an Indian reservation, and it's um, the lead character has been trying to kick his heroin addiction. Spoiler alert: not going well. And, um, and he's also trying to figure. There's their murder. His mom, his his now murdered mom, was also involved in. And I think they're up to the seventh volume. And it's it's a fantastic series, especially if you do like um, if you do like detective type stuff. So I caught up on that. Um, like I said, I went back and I was rereading Sandman as I was packing it because um, you know you attempted to flip through, and next thing you know, it's it's two hours later and you've just read through an entire series. Um, so I went I went back and revisited that, and um, after I saw the Avengers, um, I went and I reread the first two volumes of the Ultimates. Um, I did the same thing. Yeah, completely avoided volume Ultimates three. By the no, way, no, 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 yeah. no, no. There is no, there is nothing past. I don't know what you're yeah, talking about. Exactly. There. Yeah. So reread the first two, and you know there was, and I enjoyed the pleasant bit of cognitive dissonance between the characters I had just seen on the screen versus um, the way that they were done in the Ultimates. But at the same time, I also enjoyed being able to see what parts the writers had picked and chose as they went through and crafted the movies because it's pretty evident that the uh, Iron Man um, I mean Robert Downey Jr. put a stamp on it but it seems like a lot of the basic uh, parts they put in there there were from I think it's safe to say there would not have been an Avengers movie had there not been the Ultimates series a decade earlier which is funny because I I had that same feeling about Amazing Spider-Man that 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 was really the ultimate spider-man take on spider-man yeah. much more than the cl- whereas the the toby mcguire movies were mm-hmm. the classic kind of yeah. steve ditko stan lee mm-hmm. uh it, i i was feeling very very bendacy yeah. while watching Amer- amazing spider-man the uh, new 52s are beginning to come out in trade so i'm gonna be uh, stocking up on those soon and i'm stupid excited about the gail simone ones which yes. actually 
because I've I read a couple of those. I, I thought that I thought that the, uh, the Batgirl be- ones were good. And because I cannot go a podcast without mentioning Gail Simone. Um, if you do like um, police procedural comics and superheroes in one tasty package, she did write a series for Wildstorm called, and I think she, I think it's still ongoing. Actually, called Welcome to Tranquility, where Tranquility is a retirement community for superheroes. And you, of course, start with a new rookie cop on the job, and there are, of course, murders. And there, it, it will never, ever be as dense as top ten, but there are a lot of loving homages to the um, superhero cultures of the Golden Age, the Silver Age, so on and so forth. And, you know, when you've got a, a, when you've got a, a inept villain called Emoticon, you nice. know, it's been dragged kicking <laughs> and screaming to the 21st century. So that's that's a recommendation if you want something that you can read in an afternoon is welcome to tranquility if you want something you can read every weekend to read top 10 all right jason what are you reading so uh top 10 current comics yeah (laughs) we read top 10 last night uh current comics that i'm reading are the uh, avengers vs x-men i'm Mm -hmm. uh, reading those digitally um as well as the new valiance which is kind of a remake of the 90s right right i saw that which is um they're surprisingly good i'm enjoying them Mm -hmm. um and uh then I've, I've, as I sometimes fall into a uh, kind of going on a burn mid '80s kick, and I've just reread his Alpha Flights, which I love. Oh yeah, um, and his She-Hulk, which I also love. And his She-Hulk, I think anyone out there who's interested in a, a fun comic, his She-Hulk's in trade again. And basically, they broke the fourth wall. So She-Hulk knows she's in a comic. And talks to John Byrne in the comic, and is often referring to him as Byrne, and the other characters uh, know he's in a comic. So he he lovingly plays with the uh, comic uh, conceits, um, and she, she talks to him in the comic. It's hysterical huh. and a lot of fun, um, and it, it's really great Byrne art. So uh, I've been doing that, and the one I'm most excited about right now that's coming out, I guess, in a few months that was just announced yesterday was the is the Matt Fraction and Michael Allred uh, FF, which is uh, evidently the, in in Marvel now the Fantastic Four are going to go off world and FF are their replacements that each of them get to choose who's going to replace them to watch the Earth while they're gone. So the team is She Hulk, Ant Man, um, oh, crap, I forget anyone. She Hulk, Spider Man, She Hulk, Ant Man, somebody, and a new character called Miss Thing. Who is this hipster girl in a robotic thing suit? Um, and because Johnny Storm happened to be making out with her the night before, or something, that he needed to make his choice. Um, oh, Johnny Storm! Yeah, <laughs> and so it kind of looks really sort of hysterical uh, and a lot of fun. It's Mike Alderat, so I'm hoping hoping it it uh, captures a little bit of that ecstatic feeling that I used to like and X Force feeling because the artwork is there. Um, and who doesn't love a character named Miss Thing? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll you check it out. I expect it to be a drag queen. Uh, the, FF, uh, the, the FF idea I, I find kind of fascinating. The, the you know it's like Fantastic Four family. It's the uh, you know alternate because they, they killed Johnny Storm killed and then they did FF for a while and then they brought right. back Fantastic Four. But the idea of having this kind of like Reed Richards you know group of of hangers on and you know alternate. You know, spin-off characters, secondary characters. It's kind of an interesting right. idea. And evidently, they uh, Fantastic Four leave for a year of their time, but it's only four minutes pass on Earth, and so the team is sitting around and nothing, protecting the Earth for those four minutes. For the four minutes, yeah. Nothing happens, and then Johnny, a, a one-eyed, one-legged, bearded Johnny Storm comes through a door and saying, and then closes it and says, "We can never open that door again." <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
Yeah. So I'm, I really have high expectations oh, for this that's series. That's awesome. Yeah. And now I, and now I must read it. The, uh, so this has been great. We're going to have to do this again. Maybe we can, uh, and do it soon and, yes. and, uh, maybe get a, even get some other people involved in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the comic book club. Uh, Andy and has the... been on, uh, on the incomparable a little yeah. bit and I think he would love, he was the one who took maybe me to Dan the Benjamin. outer limits in Waltham and Dan Benjamin is very much into it. it. Yeah. And there's Jim Metzendorf who has, I should say his own comic book podcast on five by five. You can go to five by five dot TV slash comic shack mm-hmm. and listen to Jim's nice. comic shack. If you would like, I'll yeah. do some cross promotion there too so and we're always looking for ideas to talk about yeah you can go to 5x5.tv slash contact put in the incomparable and uh tell us what you think we should read and that would be great and you can also tweet it to at the incomparable on on the twitter Mm -hmm. and uh, we'll look there too so there's lots of ways to reach us if you want to give us some suggestions about what we should read next because that's always a good uh and we always get good feedback on the incomparable yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. well thanks a lot for being here Lisa thanks for coming down it was great and Jason thanks for coming over it's uh, it's good to see you don't see you as much as I used to and it's Mm -hmm. nice to have you in the building like to be here All right, and thanks to everybody out there for listening to The Incomparable until next time this is Jason Snell goodbye goodbye